Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today I am with Seth Sullivan, wonderful friend of mine. And Seth had a run-in with rhabdomyolysis, uh, and he is willing to share uh, his experience. Seth, thanks so much for being on the show. Jake, thanks for having me. I'm excited, man. <laughs> wonderful. Good stuff. Well, Seth, before we dive into your experience, can can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah. Um... And that's like a whole, that's a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> so I'll just, I'll talk a little bit about like what relates to my rhabdo run-in, you know? So kind of a lifetime, I'm a lifetime mediocre athlete. I'll put it that way. Uh, you know, grew up wrestling, playing football, stuff like that. Um, always, you know, into, into lifting weights and things. And I joined the military uh, when I was 17. That's that kind of it started my overtraining um, journey, I guess. You know, and so I, I really once I got in the military, I got big into uh, functional fitness in general. You know what I mean? It was like back before CrossFit was cool, kind of thing. CrossFit was like an underground. It was CrossFit and Jim Jones back then. It was like this underground, like kind of obscure website you'd go to, and there was like several hundred members, not you know several hundred thousand, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, man, I got out of the military and then just did, you know, different jobs and kind of continued my fitness journey, you know, so now here, here I am here in Kansas, you know, I work as a sales manager, normal guy, you know, I'm a dad, married, all that kind of stuff. I love it. Yeah, and for listeners, Seth Sullivan is an incredible and, and very uh, unique person. He's got his hands all over the place, so. All kinds of stuff. Thanks, lots Jake. of different experiences. Um so sweet. So how, tell us your story, man. How did you, what happened? Why'd you get rhabdomyolysis? <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's interesting. I'll, uh, you know, touch a bit more on that backstory. So, you know, part of CrossFit, you know, is, um, it has kind of a gymnastics base in it. A portion of CrossFit does. So when you do pull-ups, right. in CrossFit, it's a full body move movement rather than typical you know, pull up that you would see you know in like a muscle gym um or even like what i would see in the military right so those have to be strict pull-ups your arms are the only mover so on and so forth well in crossfit uh, you use your legs and your hips to ensue horizontal motion in your body and then you use that horizontal motion to transfer to vertical motion right commonly known as a kipping pull-up or a butterfly pull-up you can youtube it you'll see um uh, so there's an amount of skill involved in that, right? And so I did that for years, and I got, you know, decently good at these kipping pull-ups, right? Uh, it was a skill that I had. And certainly when I was in the military, you know, I was probably above average shape-wise. And then we got out of the military, and, you know, life happened. I was, you know, starting a new career, getting married, you know, building a house, like all kinds of stuff. And, uh, so I wasn't working out as often. Right. And then when this particular event happened that led to the rhabdo, the six to eight weeks prior to that, um, I just got really busy. I fell off the wagon, if you will, wasn't working out much. And then I would say even the six to eight months prior to that, um, I was, my workout routine was, was little more than just maintaining, 
right? It was like a couple days a week as opposed to five to six days a week strict that I'd been doing the decade before that. So I say all that day that muscle endurance wise and workload wise, my body wasn't in the shape that I had typically been in, you know, the 10 years prior. So this particular day I went into the gym and I didn't have long. I had like half an hour to work out. Um, and it's one of those, I either had to go to work or somewhere else after. And so I was planning to, you know, sh- I brought a bag and I was going to shower at the gym and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm thumbing through my CrossFit work, workout catalog, you know, cause I knew that there was a handful in there that only took a couple of minutes, right? I was going to warm up, do one of these couple minute quick, hard, fast workouts, hit the showers, be on my way. And I came across a workout that was a hundred pull-ups per time, Right. So it's as simple as it sounds, just start a clock and as, you know, as fast and efficiently as you can do a hundred pull-ups. That was the whole workout. So I did a quick little warm up. you know, my warm up typically consists of some type of cardio, whether it's a rower or a jog or something like that. I don't even, you know, remember exactly what I did that day, but I got decently warmed up, um, you know, and I had probably a decent amount of pre-workout in me right so mentally i was all jacked up had a good playlist going right so all these are factors that i think in my opinion and i'm no medical expert lead you know lead to this kind of what i'm going to call a perfect storm because uh, usually you have to earn rabdo a lot harder than i did i'll put it that way right for some marathon runners and things not to say that the goal is to get that but it's kind of a badge like oh man i pushed myself so hard this was just a perfect storm and it, it happened. Yeah. So I think all that's part of it, right? And going back to the kipping pull-up being a bit of a skill, so I hop on the bar, and me being decent at kipping pull-ups, I bang out a set of 50, unbroken, right? Kipping pull-ups, had my music going, got a set of 50 in there, hop off the 50, probably took me like 25 seconds, right, or less. I take, you know, I don't know, five, 10 breaths, get my uh, heart rate down a little bit, and then I hop on the bar and I do a set of 25, right? Back off the bar, another five to 10 second rest, right? Probably a set of 15 ish. Hop off, get my breath, finish out my last 10 or so, and I'm done. I'm out of there. And it was less than two minutes. I wish I had it written down. I know that it was less than two minutes, right? Was my time for 100 pull ups. So, um, you know, got out of the gym. Now I got this good arm pump, you know, which is probably what I was looking for. I was, you know, Young man in my mid-20s, okay, hey, good. Accomplished the workout, decently good time. Hey, I'm happy with that, especially because I hadn't been working out that much. I'm like, hey, old guy still got it, right on, you know. <laughs> like, So I hit the showers, you know, went, did my thing, whatever I was doing. And then I wake up the next morning, and my urine is like, it's like iced tea color or like Coke color. Jeez. Right? Yeah. And, uh, I was like, well, that's not good, man. Maybe I'm just dehydrated. You know what I mean? And, um, because, you know, whenever I'm at the gym, I always sit in the sauna before and after I'm a bit of a sauna junkie, which I know can, right. And I'm probably somebody that borderlines on the overdoing it in the sauna. Um, and then I, if I remember right after that, I think I went out and probably like had some beers with dinner or something like that. Right. So I had, I had some alcohol. So when I woke up the next morning and I had this dark colored urine, my the, my brain didn't first think, oh, I, I must have rhabdo. 
you know, yeah. which probably at the time I like knew it was a thing just like within the CrossFit community, you hear about it. Right. And particularly in the military, like I, I know that it's a thing, but it certainly didn't register. So I wake up, I go to work and, you know, pen water work all throughout the day. My arms are stuck at like 45 degrees in my head. I'm like, oh, I, just, I got a good pump. That was a good workout. You know, I was proud of like how stuck my arms were subconsciously. And, uh, so I go to work, pound water all day long. You know, I get home, it's five or 6 PM. Same story with the urine, right? It's like brown, like bad, you know? And I'm like, eh, well, that's not good. You know, like I better pound some more water. So I keep pounding water like a, you know, a lot, go to bed that night, wake up the next morning, same story. Right. So here we are about 36 hours later. And I'm like, man, this is bad, you know, but sometimes, you know, when you wake up in the morning, it just is what it is. But yeah, it's really weird. But I felt fine otherwise, to be honest. Like I didn't feel drained or like other than my biceps being like hard to the touch. Like that's how much pump they were. And other than my urine being brown, I felt fine. Right. Uh So went to work, you know what I mean? Like back then I got paid by the hour. And so like I was, you know, it would cost me a lot of call because you know i was peeing diet coke <laughs> color you know what i mean so i go to work again and then by at the end of the day you know and i made extra i was like i just got a pound a bunch of water this is bad you know and that's just typically what you assume you know hey your urine's not clear drink water you're not drinking enough right so i drank took extra care to probably put a gallon or better water or better of water in my body that day i was sweating at work you know i was a commercial electrician back then so some physical labor involved. So I was like, hey, that's probably a good thing. Whatever I got going on, I'm sweating it out, rehydrating with the good stuff, I'll be fine. And so now it's the that evening, which would have been about 48 hours later, uh, it's the same story. And I'm like, this isn't good. Something's, <laughs> Something's got to be wrong. wrong. <laughs> yeah, so I – Yeah, I'm a veteran, you know, so I, I, uh, I utilize a VA – uh, and they're like, well, you should come in right now. In fact, just go straight to the ER. Like, that's bad. Like, you're like, you're telling me this like 48 hours ago. And I, at this point I started to suspect it for a couple reasons. Number one, my biceps were like locked. I couldn't like straighten my arms past like 45 or 60 degrees. It was bad news. And I was like, well, you know, typically you might have the day after like you're sore or pumped, but this is two days after and it's still like, no signs of going away. And then, I, of course, I told them about my urine, you know. And so, anyways, I checked into the ER, and they were, like, waiting for me, you know. like And the VA, the VA hospital in Wichita, the ER is not super busy, right? So, it's all good. But they were waiting for me. So, they, like, throw me on IVs in both arms. They give me an IV flush. Um, and then they got a urine sample, and they went to test my urine. And you might have done some background on this. And for any medical professional that's listening, I apologize for whatever terms or like whatever it was. But so they go to test my urine sample. And obviously, they're testing like, you know, the amount of myoglobin and proteins in the urine. And I don't remember exactly what the numbers were, but I know that the normal, I feel like I remember the normal range is somewhere around maybe 7,000 parts per million. And all I remember that the doctor was saying, because like they gave me the IV, she came in, she gave me the diagnosis, she said, hey, this is what happened. You have rhabdomyolysis. You know, have, did you run a marathon? Like, do you have a, did you do a hard workout? It might have led to like, you know, extreme 
you know, muscle breakdown. And I told her what I did, you know, and uh, she was like, yeah, that's definitely what's happened. I said, okay, cool. So can I go home now? And she like, pretty, like quite physically like pushed me back on the bed. She said, you're not going anywhere. Like, your kidneys are functioning at like 70%. Like, this is bad. Like you could die, you know? And she was like, you had such a level of myoglobin and diluted enough to measure how much myoglobin was in your urine. And if I, I feel like I remember she said the top of the scale was 144,000 parts per million, and it was past that. So who knows what it was. So, yeah, I spent a couple of days just there in the hospital in the VA sitting, like, with, you know, just getting IV flushed constantly um, and everything monitoring and all that kind of stuff. So the from a non-medical standpoint, it was ironic because, like I said, I felt fine. Other than my biceps were, like, painfully sore. And, you know, my urine was wrong colored. But other than that, I, you know, I felt fine. So, yeah, yeah man, that's kind of the, the rundown. Wild. What uh, what did they – did they mention any implications with, with possible kidney failure or kidney damage? Um, I mean, she mentioned – she was like, you know, if you don't take care of this, like your kidneys will shut down or can, should, can or should or will. I don't remember the exact language that she used, but she this is bad – this is bad news what you have going on right people die from this you know like so i don't know if she was just fear tacticing me like you know because i'm kind of put off like the tough guy veteran role i'm ready to go home now you know like and she's like you have to stay like like, you might die you know and so as far as long term goes i and this is five or six years ago jake so i don't remember but as far as long term goes yeah i don't think she really said much you know like probably was just along the lines like hey don't do that again yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. Yeah. Do you remember if she or anyone else mentioned creatine kinase? That term at all? I don't. Yeah. I don't remember. No, not at all. Yeah. Cause I, mean, I don't, I'm obviously not a medical professional yet, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that was the other, uh, measurement that they usually use myoglobin and creatine kinase. So curious about that. But, um, yeah, interesting. So you mentioned that you had you were there for a few days receiving IV fluids. Uh, did you have any issues after that? No, man, none, none really to speak of. You know, I think I was back in the gym like for the day after I got <laughs> I got back out because it was it was kind of a an eye opener and from a you know sports science aspect, you know, and just like uh, you know physical training and thing, which I've always been a student of. I think it's interesting because I there's this one you know it's a very isolated and like unique I want to say unique movement as it pertains to all this because the skill of me doing a kipping pull up took me past the shape that my body was in you know you understand what I'm saying mm-hmm. like from a kinesiology standpoint and you know your the correct muscles sequentially unlocking and all that like that's kind of like riding a bike once you get used to it. So it's not like something I call on this great athlete. It was just something that I learned to do. Right. And for this particular workout between probably the pre-workout, having me like really mentally focused and pushing hard, uh, wanting to get in and out of the gym fast. And like I said, being probably a little bit above average at the movement. And then my muscle shape, as far as like, you know, in the functional fitness world, what they call workload or work capacity was, was diminished. I hadn't been working out that much really for the whole year. Right. And so I think it's certainly interesting and of note from that standpoint, 
Uh, I mean, I know you're a college athlete and you, you know, something that, you know, you dabble in and things like that. It's interesting that those things even exist, right? It's interesting that you can, through, you know, proper body movement and functional movement of your body, you can take yourself past past your, you know, past muscle failure, right. To a point of this extreme fatigue, you know, that's going to lead to your skeletal muscles, you know, being broke down to a point where you have to be put in the hospital. Right. And in a matter of two minutes. Yeah. Right. We're not talking like, we're not talking like I was just slaving away, just like trying to break a world record for 10 hours of pull-ups and I'm like passing out. I'm talking less than 120 seconds. All this happened. So obviously that particular movement, you know, the last probably 20% of that movement is almost all biceps just to, and it's a fast twitch pull. You see what I'm saying? You kind of, you horizontal motion transfers and begins some vertical motion in your body. And then you're just using your biceps to kind of snap your body into the bar is the way that I think of it. Uh, and so really it's just the last 20 or so percent of that movement, but it's so isolated, right? And it's isolated on a very small muscle group, which is interesting. That's kind of why I say it's this perfect storm of, you know, my old butt being out of shape, right? Having a little bit of like skill to take me past the point where I should have gone. And not only that, but it was on a muscle group that was very small and isolated. You see what I'm saying? Where you have these large muscle, muscle groups pushing a small muscle group past the point that they should be because let's say if it was a different muscle group you know some type of lower body workout legs or something like that like your quads or glutes or something's just going to give out and die long before you get to that that point you see what i'm saying in my opinion anyway it's tough to get there in that short amount of time yeah yeah it's interesting you say that because uh on the mayo clinic radio there was a doctor talking about it and he said it's most common uh when like athletes or specifically trained people have a layoff and then go back to exercise so it's interesting to hear that he said that's one of the most that's pretty common or at least that's the most common way it happens for a very uncommon uh event in rhabdo that is interesting that's interesting word specifically trained is you know that's a pretty interesting or that strikes curiosity in me you know as far as this whole situation goes i would say in that situation you know i'm specifically trained it's something that i'd worked on for years and years right and then had that layoff yeah so spot on that's exactly what happened yeah the example they gave was there's like three oregon football players that had it happen and it was like in their first practices back so it was like they had been off for a time period and then they went back to like going as hard as they had in the past Mm -hmm. so that's that's interesting so through your experience in the hospital uh like was it as simple as you were just on fluids and then they released you after 36 hours and you were good to go yeah yeah so i mean it really was pretty simple i don't think that i received any other medication you know maybe like some you know either ibuprofen or something like that probably just for you know, um, the muscle pain, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't quite remember, but I'm pretty sure it was just straight up IV fluid they were pushing. You know, I certainly don't remember anything else. 
Uh, and I mean, I was conscious the whole time. It's not like, you know what I mean? Like they're had to go into any, anything. So yeah, I think it was a pretty simple deal. And once I got back to, you know, normal, normal urine, you know, they, they kicked me out of there. So, yeah. Uh, Wild. Yeah. For something that could have such like, uh, that could cause like kidney failure. That's crazy that they have a treatment that just includes the IV saline and flush or in fluid. So interesting in the medical aspect um we had talked before and you had mentioned that a few years down the road when you were getting uh follow-up lab work and meeting with your doctor that that your kidney function may have tied into this event yeah so and this is something down the line you know maybe that i connected the dots on uh my doctor at the time didn't really think that it was affiliated certainly didn't mention that it was but, you know, at the VA, they do, you do at least an annual checkup, right? I'm a young, healthy guy. You know, I know a lot of the vets that go to the VA are like Vietnam era vets. They're old, they're old guys, right? So they're probably in there a lot. So for me, it's kind of just an annual thing, right? And that it always is done with the fasting lab, right? So you always get fasting labs and you go in there, they take a snapshot, make sure everything is good. It's usually pretty quick in and out. And so this is not long after this rhabdo event and when i say not long it was within a couple years right if i remember correctly the year right after that i skipped for one reason or another i didn't make it so this is probably at least 18 months later i do my fasting labs and i get in and my doctor's like i can see the concern on his face because he's looking at the computer when he walks in looking at my labs and he goes are you taking any supplements with like creatine in it? You know? And he said, he said, it's different. He said, but your creatine levels in your blood is like crazy high or in your kidneys. Right. I'm, I'm again, I apologize to the medical professionals listening to this, but they're like, it's crazy high. And I said, uh, I was like, well, what do you mean crazy high? And he's like, dude, your kidneys are functioning at like less than 70%. And it's not really something that's reversible. And you're like 26 years old. Like, this is a problem. Like whatever you're taking, and like stop taking. What I was taking, like when I would work out, I would take a pre-workout supplement, which really was just for mental focus and to motivate my lazy bones into the gym. Is all it was, <laughs> you know. And uh, but I looked on there, and there's creatine in in that, right? And typically creatine it's something that you cycle on and off of because you, you know i'm sure that you know but your body has natural creatine levels right uh-huh. and a creatine supplement all it does is fill those you know your creatine levels up to quote unquote maximum right to get that good effect and then you need to cycle off of it because any excess creatine obviously is just going to get filtered filtered out through your endocrine system right so I didn't know that that was in that supplement. So lesson learned, like obviously know everything that, you know, that you're taking. I more or less thought it was like an energy drink, you know, kind of thing. It probably also didn't help that I didn't use water. Like I would just kind of go like pixie stick style and just take the scoop and like just face it, <laughs> you know, and it was like super sour and just like that jolt, like it also helped. You know? Yeah. I'd be in the parking lot of the gym and just like, ah, you know, just pound it down. I don't know. I'm not the only one that does that. Right. It's kind of a common like meathead kind of thing. Uh, so it probably didn't help either where it was like a little bit more concentrated <laughs> where I was just facing this like you know powder that included creatine you know so it's probably much more concentrated I'm not sure so 
having said all that, right, um, I quit taking those supplements. Um, again, whole other podcast, but, you know, shortly after that, I got on the carnivore diet, so my diet is almost all strictly red meat. And when I started doing that, I quit taking any supplements whatsoever, huh. right? But, um, and it, it was shortly after that where I just kind of adjusted my lifestyle and things. And so once I got on the carnivore diet, I was like, is this diet going to kill me, right? Is my heart going to explode? Like, you know, <laughs> I'm going to get blood clots. I'm 30 years old. So I go into the VA and I get my blood work done. This is a couple years later, right? My, the same annual checkup. Different doctor at this point. Um, it's a common thing at the VA. You always cycle in doctors. And I didn't tell her that I was doing this carnivore diet. And at that point, I had been doing it six months, like very strict, right? Like you could count the times I ate something that wasn't red meat in that six months. Uh, and so she looked at my labs and she said, hey, you know, everything looks pretty good. And I said, okay. I said, so a couple years ago, I came in here. They told me my kidneys were bad. Like, what do you think now? She said, oh, it looks fine. It's okay. Um, and I kind of, it was almost like I was telling her, I was like, what would you do if I told you, or what would you think if I, I told you that he need for the last six months? And she's like, wow, really? She's like, you know, I'd heard this carnivore diet. She's like, that's crazy. She's like, honestly, like, if it's keeping you healthy, you know, she's like, I don't see anything in your labs that tell me otherwise that, you know, you got some LDL cholesterol a touch high for a healthy young male like yourself, but certainly it's nothing that's alarming, you know? And the HDL levels were, you know, relatively high also, which we all know is, you know, uh, a decent, it's a decently good marker for metabolic health. So she wasn't really worried about it, you know? And, uh, yeah. Yeah. The carnivore diet, man. Yeah. I say all that, again, it's a whole other podcast. We don't open that can of worms. If if you have any cardiologist friends that are listening here right now, they're probably falling over in their chair. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, stop it. Uh, but it's, uh, I, I think that my endocrine system had probably been beat up a little bit in my young age. You know, I was also, um, I'll say it this way. I was a very average wrestler, but I was really good at cutting weight, like in high school. And so I cut what I know to be now in my grown life too much weight. I know it's, it's, it's a common, you know, it's, it's not a good trend in any combat sports, right, where you have to weigh in, where you have young children in their, you know, formidable physical years that are cutting weight. It's not healthy, uh, but it's something that I did, right? Hmm. And, you know, when you're a young high school kid and you're competing for a varsity spot and that's, that's your whole world, right, you'll do whatever you got to do. And I was doing it the wrong way. Also, it was kind of like, you know, I would more or less starve myself for a couple of days, wring all the water out of my system through the sauna. And then, you know, like, and then I would just like eat all the food, you know, on the weekends, like pound cereal and stuff like that. Yeah. So, I, you know, um, this the particular, year, particular year that I'm talking about in the football program, I was about 162 pounds, I think. And I wrestled 125, like a couple months later. Holy yeah. Cow. Yeah. So, and that's not, you know, in combat sports or, you know, wrestling, it's, I don't want to say that's an uncommon like weight cut, but it's, it's fairly extreme if you look at the percentages of it. And I maintain that, you know, you have to weigh in every tournament. So from, you know, early November until February here in Kansas is, is, is wrestling season. Right. And so I was basically constantly trimming down to 125, which again, was just pretty much wringing all the water out of my system, getting everything empty 
right? And then that would be like Saturday morning for the tournament. And by the time I put a foot on the mat at the tournament, I was probably 140-something. Wow. Just by rehydrant, yeah. So I know that my endocrine system has been beat up over the years, and then for that to happen, and then on top of all the supplements, years and years of um, protein shakes, probably in excess because I was just, you know, when I, I was kind of a meathead in my early 20s, and it was just all about <laughs> got to keep got to keep those counts up, bro. Got to get those protein counts up. Right? And when I didn't have food prepared, particularly in the military when I was living in the barracks, hey, they feed you well, but it's three times a day. Right. What am I going to do the other three times a day that I need 40 grams of protein, right? Pound and protein shakes, you know, and I know that liquid protein, it's not the best thing, particularly in excess on kidneys, liver, you know, anything like that. So interesting. It, 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 that's interesting to hear though, how aware you are like of your health and that you're getting these annual checkups. And so I think that's really cool. And, uh, and uh, the carnivore diet, man, we'll see who knows, <laughs> maybe a couple of years uh, down the road people doctors will start advocating for carnivore diets because <laughs> they're like our boy Seth yeah. right here <laughs> Seth, well, health I, I'm improved. Sort of not the only one <laughs> yeah it has and you know I think it's uh rather than me being a super there's a couple good things that we know are good with metabolic health that just organically happen when you're eating carnivores number one when you're eating a carnivore diet you're almost always going to intermittent fast which is proven right nobody can argue that that's Good. We know that that's good for your metabolic health once in a while. And so, you know, I went from eating five or six times a day and now I eat once or twice a day. It's just a larger amount. So organically within my routine and diet, I just almost every day have intermittent fasting. You know, the other thing is, is that when you're eating red meat, it's always a whole food, right? You're not eating these pro- this processed, you know, sugar, you know, carbs and things like that. So the selection is just much more natural, right? So I think it's a lot more of, about what I'm not eating rather than what I am eating, Hmm. if that makes sense, you know? Um, And what I'm not putting in my body, right? Like you said, just trying to be aware of health and things like that. And I used to have like literally from the time I was 17 or 18, maybe even younger until a couple of years ago, I had like a dedicated shelf in every house I lived in, even when I was in my parents' house. This is Seth's supplement shelf. I had meal replacement. You had creatine. You know, you had you know after workout proteins. You had you know branched chain amino acids. And I'm not saying all those are bad, right? Um, I know there's a spot for all of them, and they work for a lot of people. You know, and I had you know uh, different kind of protein for before bed, right? I had you know uh, just a general multivitamin. You know, I was taking in my urine would be like lime green, right? Because I'm probably just peeing most of it out. You know, so I had this whole shelf of supplements. You know, and just getting on carnivore diet, I really I felt good enough, and I, you know, so I judge it off a couple of things, and I know it's a little bit anecdotal, but the way that I look at it is, you know, my physical performance, you know, again for being like a lifetime hobbyist, at, you know, of an athlete, right? I, I'll put that's really my level of being an athlete. I'm just a hobbyist, right? Uh, but my physical performance when I work out, how do I feel, right? So between that and recovery. Um, better now than when I was taking all those supplements, right? And then, you know, being able to maintain, you know, uh, body weight and or figure, you know what I mean? Which is kind of the goal for a lot of people. You know, I'm a 31-year-old dad, right? It's not like I'm going out competing, you know, against anybody other than myself or the clock. So I don't want to have that dad gut when I take my son to 
you know, his wrestling tournaments or whatever, right? He, I'm going to be in shape, dad, you know? But, uh, so yeah, I mean, how I look and, you know, and, and perform, you know, and then obviously other things, you know, mental clarity, things like that. And so as long as when I'm going to get my blood work done, like no doctors are falling out of their chair, you know, for me, I'm kind of like, Hey, like, you know, I'll, I'll go with it, you know? And, and I think, for me, it's like any diet or anything you do, somebody on the other extreme is going to tell you, well, that's eventually going to lead to cancer or this or that or whatever. You know, health and mental clarity and physical performance. I'll trade that. And maybe this is almost taboo to say, but I would trade that for something like, you know, cancer when I'm 78 years old, you know what I mean? Or whatever it is. Right. And so, there's always the sky is always gonna be falling. Something's gonna get you, but in the meantime, how you how is your life? You know, so I guess that's kind of the way that I look at it. Huh. You know, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting to hear that your perspective on that. Awesome. Well, Seth, my last question for you before we wrap up, and, and thanks so much for your time. Uh, many, I'd assume many others, including myself, uh, aren't very familiar with the VA uh, hospital system. Uh, what has your experience been with that, and, and how? How do you look at it? Um, a couple of different ways to tackle this. So first of all, I will caveat that the people individually at the VA, for the most part, are great, right? Um, whether it's just a job that a lot of people want to help in particular because it's a place where veterans go and they want to give back. The people individually are always great. I feel like the system is broken. You see what I'm saying? And I don't have a lot of bold wording. It is a bold say, you know, and I I don't want to take 58 minutes here to explain this. And anybody from the VA is listening, you know, they might get a little bit defensive. Well, how so? How do you mean? Well, I'll just give you like some examples, you know, like there's a reason why, you know, when we were talking earlier, I was telling you that, you know, I'm in the woods all the time. I'm a big time bow hunter for whitetail deer. And so I'm in the woods all the time and I'm pretty allergic to poison ivy. I have become more and more as a, gotten older something when i was a kid i could crawl in and like pull it out with my bare hands you know but now i'm super allergic to it so i get poison ivy probably like three times a year right and a normal person i'm going to call their i say normal person somebody that doesn't use the va will just call their primary physician the primary care physician and get prescribed something right over the phone or like you know they'll call something and you just go to the pharmacy and pick it up you know hey here's this topical solution why don't you come in Today, we'll get you a cortisone shot. The system for me to get into my primary care physician is so convoluted and antiquated that I would I would be sitting there with poison ivy for probably five to six weeks before I got in to see my primary care physician. You know, I've tried for several different reasons. So what I do is I always just go to the ER at the VA, right? And so I was doing that for years, a couple times a year, going to the ER just to get treatment. They would prescribe me something, and it was just easier, right? So I will say having access to that is really easy. So that's a positive. If something happens, minor or major, I'll just go to the VA ER. They're not super busy, right, in the emergency room there. They always have somebody on staff. They're nice. They're welcoming. They take me in. But the fact that, number one, I I couldn't even – begin to count in the last 10 you know i've been going to the va for about 10 years i got out of the military in 2011 yeah so actually tomorrow will be 10 years when i got out of the wow well, yeah 10 years when i got out of the military june 24th 2011 uh that's crazy but uh i've been going to the va for 10 years and 
I couldn't begin to count the amount of different doctors that I've had. Mm-hmm. Right. Which for me, again, a healthy guy, I don't have like chronic disease or anything. It's not that big of a deal. Right. Uh, but the other example that I use is like, you know, I use dent- the VA for dental. So it's free. Right. So I, you get what you pay for. And I can't complain about that. Right. Been done a great job. It's very accessible to me as a veteran. I didn't have to like fill out a hold on like i got out of the military i registered i'm in right um so i started going to dental and they like, like i had a root canal done it was actually in boot camp so 2007 and the thing started to chip off so i go to the va dental and they're like oh yeah you're gonna have to we're gonna make a mold we're gonna put a new cap on it so on and so forth so they ground down my molar down to like the base of my gun and then they made a mold and they said we're gonna send this mold off it's going to take probably 30 to 45 days to get this mold made, you know? And the dentist there, he was like in the civilian world, this would take two days, but every dental mold made in the United States is made in the, for the VA is made in Dallas, Texas. It was one lab, right? So it was probably two months before they called me back, right? This is November of 2019. So I get called back after the new year to get this mold put in and it's the wrong mold. Bummer. Right. It didn't fit or it was like the total wrong tooth. I don't know, but it was wrong. Right. So like, well, we'll have to send it off again. It's going to be another couple months. Well, then what happened? Right. In early March of, you know, it was like March of 2020 COVID happened. Right. So now the whole thing shuts down. They're shutting down the dental office because they don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? Like uh, essential workers only at the VA, things like that. So this November, it'll be two years since they ground my molar down and I still, and I call about every month getting caught up or doing like, you know, basically people with like, you know, dental emergencies still, you know, getting all them caught up and it's all been prioritized. And so like, I'm at the back of the list. So two, almost two years ago or going on two years, basically took my molar away. And I don't, I don't have one yet, you know? And when I do schedule an appointment, it, it's always seems like it's way far out. You see what I'm saying? I've gotten letters for appointment. So I'll use the example when I went back to the doctor and he told me my kidneys were not good at the VA. He goes, I'm going to refer you to kidney specialist. So I'm like, yeah, thanks. He goes, we'll let you know. You'll get contacted and we'll make an appointment for you. Jake, I'm not kidding. Four months later, I got a letter in the mail that I had an appointment with a kidney specialist. That was two days before I got the letter. And that was, you know, so I missed timing. the appointment because I didn't, I didn't know about it. And they sent a letter through the mail, you know? And so I was like, well, I can't do this. So I called to try to get a new one in. And there's like one kidney specialist in the area at the VA. And it was going to be like five months, huh? you know? Interesting. So I, you know, I, it, it's good and bad, man. Like I said, I can't complain. I know a lot of veterans that have had worse experiences than me. So I will say particular, particularly that the VA Medical Center here in Wichita, Kansas, I think is one of the better ones, right? And this is just from hearing secondhand stories from buddies that I have and things like that. Um, you know, I don't have to drive very far to go if I need health care. But again, it just seems like this, I, I think the biggest term is just antiquated. The system is just old. The way they do their all their business is not updated. It takes forever. If I want to get my medical files, it's like I have to go, you know, there'll be like one person at the VA that's in charge, 
You see what I'm saying? Like, I had to get my medical files for, I don't remember if it was for a job or for some reason, or maybe I was going to, I can't remember if I was trying to go to, like, a, you know, I call it a civilian doctor. They're all civilians, but a non-VA doctor. And they're like, yeah, you got to go see so-and-so down in this wing of the VA hospital. And I go there, and there's a sign on the door, like, we'll be back tomorrow. And it was, like, 1.30 p.m. So I come back the next day. There's still a sign on the door. Nobody's there. And it's, like, the one person that I can talk to. So I call, like, left, like, several voicemails. It took me almost a month to get my medical files. And when I did, she said, oh, well, well this is the file, and they're going to mail it to you on a CD from, like, the VA, like, headquarters in Denver, Colorado. But if you need anything specific, let me know, and I can print it off to you right now. And I was like, no, I just need the whole thing. Oh, you know what it was? Because I was taking my EMT course, and I needed to get my vaccination records. Because, you know, in the military, you get, like, every vaccination. Yeah. And to be an EMT, you got to be updated on vax, or you can't, like, do your clinicals and things like that. Yeah. So I was trying to get those records, and it was like, they were saying, well, I can't really get that to you. You know, it'll here in a, here soon they're going to mail you this thing. And it was probably 8 to 12 weeks after I got a CD. You know, of course, it's way past. I needed it in, like, a couple weeks, right? So three months later, I got a CD in the mail of you know, my, uh, my medical records, right. Which I didn't have a desktop computer at the time. So I think it's still like <laughs> in the package. I still never opened it up. So just things like that, like access to records and access to like primary care is less than ideal, I guess. So I could wrap it up. Yeah. You it's know? interesting yeah. to hear you talk about like the good and the bad because you know, you had some issues with waiting and, and some of that, but also, you know, you get a, you get lab work done once a year not there are a lot of people that sure. don't seek that out or, or don't get that and so it's right. interesting to hear the give and take uh have you ever thought has it ever bugged you enough to where you've sought out different doctors or different healthcare because of it or is it just there are some annoyances but ultimately it's better than seeking out something else so i have in the past 10 years a couple times particularly when i was a commercial electrician i had really good insurance you know um so i was going to just a different doctor i don't even remember for what uh because i just didn't want to go to the whole to the whole va thing um but even then i had to pay like a copay you know whatever it was like 20 or 40 bucks and i'm like this is kind of stupid like and again for me i don't really have any chronic disease other than i guess my my kidneys uh, <laughs> right but i don't really <laughs> I don't really have any any chronic disease, so it's not something where I'm like going to the hospital all the time, you know. Um, so for me, it's basically like emergency care and like checkups, you know, just a check in the box. So I'm kind of cheap, I guess you could say. So I'll I'll put up with whatever little extra stuff I have to do because again, it's free. So I'm not complaining. I know there's a lot of people not only in this country and other places in the world that have no health care if they do it's like super expensive right but i also think it speaks to the bigger issue about government ran health care you know which is a, again a whole nother can of worms but <laughs> from my ask from my aspect if you're asking me should i do i think the government's run health care absolutely not right like i'm just trying to give you a glimpse and also be nice because i don't like to bad mouth anybody i'm trying to give you a glimpse of like some of the i mean medical like when you talk about healthcare nightmares, like I just have a lot of buddies that it's like, you know, it's like a fun, like we have like a thread, like, you know, like veteran friends of mine, like, oh, well, here's another one, guys, you know, like guys traveling like two and three hours to show up and the doctor 
doctor is not even there, you know, and okay, well, when's he going to be here tomorrow? I can get a hotel. No, he's going to be out for the week. You know, when's it, we can get you in in six weeks from now, you know, like kind of stuff. Well, can somebody just see me real quick? You know, like just stuff like that, you know? Um, yeah, so you're I, right. That is a whole nother can of worms. Yeah, we won't, we won't get into that, but just for, you know, just to kind of at least, you know, mention it, I think that that's what I've always thought, right? When I'm like, man, and people are like, go try to get just a doctor's checkup appointment at the VA and tell me how you feel about government-ran healthcare, you know? Huh, interesting. And again, like that, it's just the system. Yeah. Well, Seth Sullivan, thank you so much for your time. Crazy experience with rhabdomyolysis. Yeah, uh, gave us a little uh, perspective on what the VA uh, health system's like. Thanks so much. Yeah, Jake. Good talking to you, bro.